I entered the village at dusk, my boots crunching on the gravel path. The air was cool, and a faint mist began to settle over the landscape. The homes were modest, each with thatched roofs that looked like they needed repairs. Outside every door, red banners hung, their edges frayed, fluttering in the wind like silent alarms. Villagers bustled about with a sense of urgency that bordered on frenzy. Some carried wooden bowls, their contents obscured by cloth covers, while others arranged stones in intricate patterns on the ground. The stones were of various sizes, some as small as pebbles, others large enough to require two hands to move. Excuse me, I said to a man who was tying knots in a thick, coarse rope. The knots were complex, and his fingers moved with practiced ease. What's the occasion? He glanced at me, his eyes briefly meeting mine before returning to his task. Blood moon tonight, big night for us, he muttered, almost under his breath. I nodded, though his response did little to quell my curiosity. Moving on, I observed more preparations. A group of women were lighting candles, their flames casting shadows on the cobblestone streets. The candles were thick and white, the wax melting slowly. Incense sticks placed in holders carved from wood sent up curls of smoke that smelled of pine and something else I couldn't quite identify. In one corner, children gathered, their faces smeared with what looked like ash. They were playing, but their game seemed ritualistic, involving sticks laid out in a specific pattern and stones cast in a circle. As I walked further into the village, the sense of something ancient and unspoken grew stronger. The houses became sparser, and the paths twisted and turned in confusing patterns. I could see the edge of the forest, its trees like dark sentinels against the twilight sky. In the distance, a hill rose, silhouetted against the darkening horizon. Atop it, a singular large stone structure, its purpose unclear from this distance, stood as if watching over the village. I felt an inexplicable pull towards it, a feeling I quickly dismissed. Turning back to the village, I resolved to find out more about this blood moon and what it meant for the people here. Little did I know, my curiosity would soon lead me into the depths of something far beyond my understanding. As the evening deepened, the air grew colder and the last rays of sunlight vanished behind the hills. I walked along the narrow, winding streets of the village, my ears alert to the conversations around me. A sense of secrecy hung heavy, like the mist that now crept along the ground. Two women stood by a well, their voices low. The elder said this one must be grander than the last, one whispered, her hands wringing a piece of cloth nervously. Yes, but do you think the gods will be pleased? The other replied, a note of fear in her tone. I lingered a moment longer then moved away, not wanting to draw attention. Around another bend I saw a group of men unloading what appeared to be animal cages from a cart. The animals inside were too shadowy to make out, but their restless movements and soft whimpers were unmistakable. A chill ran down my spine as I turned away, only to almost bump into a young boy. He held a bundle of sticks bound with red ribbon. Our eyes met, and for a moment... I saw a flicker of something like dread in his gaze before he scurried off. 
Everywhere I looked, there were signs of the impending ritual, a cauldron here, a circle of stones there, and always the red, always present in some form or another. I decided to approach an elderly woman who was arranging what looked like bones into a pattern on a cloth. Excuse me, I began, my voice cautious. I'm a traveller and couldn't help but notice the preparations. Could you tell me more about this ritual? She looked up, her eyes narrowing slightly as she appraised me. After a long moment, she spoke. It is an old tradition, a pact made long ago. During the blood moon, we honour it. It's best not to ask too many questions, stranger. Her words, far from satisfying my curiosity, only fueled it further. I thanked her and walked on, feeling the weight of her gaze on my back. The central square of the village was now thrumming with activity. Villagers moved with focus, their shadows long and distorted by the fire that crackled fiercely in a large pit. At the edge of the square, under the boughs of an ancient oak tree, stood a group of elders. Their faces were weathered, and their eyes held stories untold. I approached them, my footsteps deliberate. Good evening, I greeted, keeping my voice respectful. I'm intrigued by your traditions. Could you enlighten me about this ritual? The eldest, a man with a silver beard and sharp eyes, regarded me for a moment. It is an old ritual, he began, his voice like gravel. It ensures the prosperity of our village and keeps the darkness at bay. That is all you need to know. His words were final, leaving no room for further inquiry. Another elder, a woman with lines of age carved deeply into her face, glanced at me, her eyes flashing with an emotion I couldn't decipher. I nodded, realizing that pushing for more information might arouse suspicion. Thank you, I said, stepping back. The villagers began to form a wide circle around the fire. The elders took their places, standing slightly apart, their hands clasped in front of them. The air was filled with the sound of crackling wood and the occasional murmur of voices. I watched as two villagers brought forward a large ornate vessel placing it near the elders. Its surface was carved with symbols that seemed ancient and arcane. The vessel was filled with a dark liquid that reflected the flames, creating an almost hypnotic effect. As the sky darkened further, the moon began to rise, painting the landscape in a reddish hue. It was a blood moon, larger and more ominous than any I had ever seen. Its light seemed to cast the village into a different realm, one that teetered on the edge of reality and something far more primal. The elders raised their hands, and the crowd fell silent. This ritual, shrouded in secrecy and tradition, was about to unfold, and I couldn't shake the feeling that it harboured something dark and possibly malevolent. I stepped back into the shadows, my eyes fixed on the elders and the fire, ready to witness what was to come yet uncertain if I was prepared for the truth behind this ancient tradition. As the ritual commenced, my curiosity urged me deeper into the shadows of the village. The elders' words and the villagers' secretive actions had ignited a need to understand what lay beneath this veneer of tradition. Venturing away from the square, I followed a narrow path that wound its way between the houses. The path led me to the outskirts of the village, where the structures were sparse. 
and the forest began to reclaim the land. Here, the air was cooler and the sounds of the ritual became distant echoes. Amidst the thickening trees, I spotted an unusual arrangement of stones. Intrigued, I moved closer. It was an altar, crudely constructed yet imbued with an undeniable sense of purpose. The stones were large and covered in moss, arranged in a semicircle. At the centre of this semicircle stood a taller stone, its surface smoother than the rest, and marked with symbols that resembled those on the vessel near the fire. Scattered around the base of the altar were various objects, bones that looked human, dried herbs tied in bundles, and small carved figures that appeared to be of the same dark deity the villagers whispered about. The ground in front of the altar was stained, the grass darker, suggesting frequent use. As I examined these items, a chill ran down my spine. This was no ordinary place of worship. It was a site of sacrifices, possibly human. The realization hit me with a wave of revulsion and fear. In the dirt near the altar, I noticed a partially buried object. Crouching down, I uncovered an old, leather-bound book. Its pages were yellowed with age, filled with writings in a language I didn't recognize and more of those unsettling symbols. Hearing a twig snap behind me, I quickly concealed the book under my cloak and turned, expecting to confront a villager. But there was no one. The sound had been just an animal, perhaps, or my imagination heightened by the night's events. With the book secured, I knew I had to research into its contents for answers. But first, I needed to return to the ritual, to observe what the villagers and elders were enacting under the Blood Moon's ominous light. I made my way back to the village square, the weight of the hidden book against my side a reminder of the dark undercurrents I had stumbled upon. The Blood Moon cast an eerie crimson light over the scene, bathing the villagers and their ritual in a supernatural glow. The fire had grown larger, its flames leaping toward the sky as if trying to touch the moon itself. The villagers stood in a wide circle around it, their faces illuminated in stark relief against the dancing shadows. The elders were now chanting in a language I didn't recognize, their voices rising and falling in a hypnotic rhythm. In the center of the circle, near the fire, the elders had placed the ornate vessel, Two of them held long wooden staffs adorned with carvings similar to the symbols on the altar I had found. They moved the staffs through the air in intricate patterns, tracing the shapes of the symbols. I noticed a group of villagers bringing forward the animal cages I had seen earlier. They opened them, and to my shock, a variety of animals, a goat, several chickens, and a snake, were released into the circle. The animals, clearly frightened, ran haphazardly, their distress evident. The elders continued their chant, and two villagers stepped forward with sharp, gleaming knives. What happened next was a blur of motion. The swift, practiced movements of the villagers as they caught the animals, the glint of the knives, and the inevitable, grim conclusion of each sacrifice. The air was filled with the sounds of the ritual, the chanting, the crackling fire, the brief, sharp cries of the animals. I stood frozen, unable to tear my eyes away from the spectacle. The villagers seemed entranced, their faces showing reverence and fear. 
The air was filled with the scent of burning wood, mingled with a more acrid, unsettling smell that I soon realized was blood. As the last animal was sacrificed, the elders' chanting reached a crescendo. They raised their staffs towards the moon, and the villagers fell to their knees, heads bowed in what seemed like fear and adoration. I felt a surge of revulsion and disbelief. This was no mere tradition. It was a ritual steeped in blood and fear. The villagers, so normal by daylight, were now participants in something ancient and horrifying. The elders lowered their staffs, and for a moment there was complete silence, as if the forest itself was holding its breath. Then, with a suddenness that made me jump, they all turned towards a large, hooded figure that had emerged from the shadows at the edge of the square. The figure moved forward with a deliberate slowness, its presence commanding an air of ominous significance. The villagers parted to let it pass, their eyes fixed on the ground. The hooded figure stood at the centre of the circle, towering over the others. Its robe was a deep, dark red, almost blending with the blood moon's light. The fabric moved as if it had a life of its own, shifting with every subtle movement of the figure. Everyone in the village square, including the elders, seemed to be holding their breath, their eyes fixed on this imposing figure. The fire crackled and popped, the only sound in the silence. Slowly the figure raised its arms, the sleeves of the robe falling back to reveal hands clad in black gloves. In one hand, it held a dagger that gleamed malevolently in the firelight. The blade was ornate, covered in the same arcane symbols I had seen on the altar and the vessel. The elders stepped back, giving the figure space. Then, in a voice that was deep and resonant, it began to speak. The language was unfamiliar, but the tone was unmistakable. It was a chant, similar yet distinctly different from what the elders had been reciting. As the chant continued, the villagers began to sway gently. It was almost imperceptible at first, but gradually their movements became more pronounced, as if they were entranced. My gaze was drawn back to the hooded figure as it lowered the dagger and reached into the folds of its robe. It pulled out a small, struggling form. A rabbit, its fur matted and eyes wide with fear. The realization of what was about to happen hit me with a sickening certainty. With a swift, practiced motion, the figure held the rabbit aloft and then brought the dagger down. The act was quick, almost too quick to see, but the finality of it was unmistakable. A collective gasp rose from the villagers, a sound that was part horror, part astonishment. The figure placed the lifeless rabbit on the ground and then scooped some of its blood with a small bowl. It then walked around the circle, stopping in front of each elder. Each elder dipped their finger into the bowl and then touched their forehead, leaving a mark of blood. I stood frozen, fear and disbelief coursing through me. This was no mere animal sacrifice. It was a ritual steeped in darkness and old, forgotten beliefs. As the figure completed its round, the villagers began to chant, their voices joining in an unsettling harmony with the figure's deep tones. The sound filled the square, bouncing off the houses and into the night. The ritual was reaching its zenith, and I sensed that something even more profound and terrifying was about to occur. I realized then that I was witnessing a ritual that was as old as the village itself, possibly older.
Retreating from the square and the unsettling scene, I found a secluded spot behind one of the village houses. Under the dim light of the blood moon, I carefully opened the leather-bound book I had taken from the altar. Its pages, yellowed with age, creaked as I turned them. The symbols on the pages matched those I had seen throughout the village, especially on the ritualistic items. Though the language was foreign to me, I recognized repeated patterns and began to piece together their meanings using the context of what I had witnessed. One symbol, in particular, appeared consistently throughout the book, a figure with outstretched arms and a circle above its head. Remembering the symbols on the dagger and the elder's staffs, I realized this was the deity the villagers revered, a figure of both worship and fear. As I continued to flip through the pages, a rough sketch caught my attention. It depicted the village under a blood moon, with the large stone structure on the hill prominently featured. Around it were figures, some human, others not, all bowed towards a central, larger figure that resembled the hooded figure from the ritual. The sense of dread I felt earlier returned, amplified by the implications of the drawing. A soft sound made me look up. A villager, a woman I had not seen before, stood at a distance, watching me. I quickly closed the book and tucked it away. She approached, her gaze fixed on where I had hidden the book. You shouldn't be here, she whispered, her voice flavoured with fear. They don't like outsiders, especially on nights like this. Who are they? I asked. My curiosity peaked despite the danger. The followers of the old ways, the ones who serve him, she said, her eyes darting around nervously. The one you read about in that book, he's more than just a deity to them. He's their judge, their executioner. Her words sent a chill down my spine. And the ritual? I inquired. It's more than appeasement or worship, she confided, her voice barely audible. It's a binding, a renewal of an ancient pact. Without it, they believe he will bring ruin to us all. I realized then what was happening. This was not just a tradition. It was a survival tactic, born of fear and sustained through generations. Thank you, I said, as she turned to leave. Be careful. She nodded and disappeared into the night. I knew then that I had to learn more about this deity and the true nature of the pact. The village, shrouded in the darkness of old secrets, was hiding something far more sinister than I had imagined. With the knowledge from the book and the villagers' ominous words, I made my way back to the village square. The ritual had concluded, and the crowd had dispersed, leaving only the elders around the dying fire. Their silhouettes were like spectres against the dimming flames. I approached them. The eldest looked up, his gaze sharp. You return, stranger. Why? I seek the truth about your ritual, about the deity you worship, I said, my voice steady despite the pounding of my heart. What is this pact you've made? The elders exchanged glances, their expressions of caution and disdain. It is not for outsiders to understand, the eldest finally said. It is ancient and sacred, vital for our survival. But at what cost, I pressed, thinking of the sacrifices. I've seen the altar, the sacrifices. Is fear and bloodshed truly the foundation of your survival? Another elder, a woman with streaks of grey in her hair, spoke up. You speak of things you cannot understand. 
Our ways have kept us safe for generations. It is not for you to judge. I realized then that they would not reveal more, their beliefs and practices too ingrained to be questioned. And if someone wanted to stop this ritual, I asked, a part of me needing to know their reaction. The elders' demeanor changed then, turning colder, more threatening. To stop the ritual is to invite his wrath, the eldest elder replied, his voice low. None dare oppose it. Those who have tried have met with dire consequences. His words were a warning, clear and unambiguous. I knew I had pushed as far as I could. Thank you for your candor, I said, backing away. Their eyes followed me, and I felt the weight of their gaze long after I had left their presence. My inquiries had apparently raised suspicions. That night, as I lay in a modest room I had rented in the village, the door burst open. Before I could react, several strong hands grabbed me, dragging me out of bed. I fought, but they were too many and their grips were like iron. They took me to a small windowless hut near the edge of the village, throwing me inside. The door slammed shut, the sound of a heavy bar falling into place echoed in the dark room. I was a prisoner. The hut was damp and smelled of mold. The floor was dirt, uneven and cold. In the darkness, I could make out the shapes of shelves lined with various objects, jars with unknown contents, old books and bundles of dried herbs. I felt a surge of panic. I couldn't stay here. I had to escape and uncover the truth of the ritual and the deity. Feeling around, I found a small, sharp stone on the floor. It was not much, but it was something. The door was solid, but the walls of the hut, made of old wood and thatch, seemed less formidable. I started working on the wall, using the stone to scrape away at the material. It was slow, painstaking work, and my hands bled from the effort, but I persisted. Hours passed, or so it seemed, and I finally made a small hole, just big enough to look through. The village was quiet, the inhabitants likely asleep, unaware of my escape attempt. Widening the hole enough to crawl through took more time and effort, but as the first light of dawn began to seep into the sky, I managed it. I squeezed through the opening, cutting myself on the rough edges, and landed outside. Free but far from safe, I knew I had to act quickly. I needed to find more answers, and perhaps find a way to put an end to the ritual and the hold it had on the villagers. With the first light of dawn casting a pale glow over the village, I moved stealthily, sticking to the shadows. My escape had to remain undetected if I were to uncover more about the ritual and perhaps find a way to intervene. As I navigated the narrow streets, I noticed a few villagers already awake, beginning their daily routines. I approached an old man who was tending to a small garden outside his house. His hands paused when he saw me, a look of surprise crossing his weathered face. Please, I mean no harm. I said softly. I'm trying to understand what's happening here, the truth behind the ritual. He glanced around nervously before responding in a quiet tone. You shouldn't be asking about such things. It's dangerous. But the ritual, the sacrifices, I pressed. Is there no one who questions it? No one who thinks there might be another way? He sighed, a weary sound. There are a few who doubt, who fear what we've become. But to speak against the elders, against the tradition, it's not done. 
Can you tell me who they are? I asked, my voice urgent. I need to speak with them. He hesitated, then nodded slowly, gesturing towards a house at the far end of the street. Oliver, the blacksmith. He's one who's spoken quietly of his doubts. But be careful, stranger. The walls have ears here. Thanking him, I hurried towards the blacksmith's house. Oliver was a burly man, his arms muscular from his trade. He was cautious at first, but as I spoke of what I'd seen and learned, his demeanour changed. It's madness what we do, he confessed, his voice a low rumble. But fear keeps us bound to it, fear of the elders, of the deity, of what might happen if we defy them. I need to know more about the deity, the pact, I said. There has to be a way to break this cycle. Oliver nodded, leading me to a back room where he kept old records and artifacts of the village. These might help you, he said, handing me a stack of dusty papers and books. But be quick, if you're found with these. I understood the risk. I quickly scanned the documents, finding references to the pact made generations ago. A promise of protection from the deity in exchange for the rituals and sacrifices. But there was more. Hints of a rebellion long quashed, of a previous attempt to break free from the deity's grasp. I looked up at Oliver. We need to find the others who doubt, who fear. We need to show them this, convince them there's a way to end this. He nodded, determination setting in his eyes. I'll gather them quietly. Meet us at the edge of the forest by the old well at midnight. We'll talk there, away from prying eyes. With a plan set, I slipped away with the documents, ready to dive deeper into the village's dark history. The day passed in a blur as I hid, reading and preparing for the night's meeting. Under the cover of night, I made my way to the old well at the forest's edge. The moon, though no longer blood-red, cast a pale light through the trees. I arrived to find Oliver and a small group of villagers gathered in a tight circle their faces marked with fear and resolve. Oliver introduced them, men and women young and old, all sharing a common unease about the rituals. I shared what I had learned from the documents and the book I had found. Their reactions ranged from shock to anger, but underlying it all was a sense of awakening, a realisation that change was possible. We've been bound by fear, said a middle-aged woman named Mayreed. But perhaps it's time to challenge that fear, to reclaim our lives from this, this darkness. The group murmured in agreement, but the fear in their eyes was unmistakable. To challenge centuries of tradition and the authority of the elders was no small feat. We need a plan, I said, drawing their attention. The ritual relies on specific symbols and offerings. If we can disrupt these elements, we can disrupt the ritual. But how? asked Oliver. The elders are vigilant, and the creature they worship. We need to be subtle, I proposed. We can start by replacing some of the ritual items with duplicates, altering the symbols slightly. It could weaken the ritual's hold, perhaps even break it. A young man, barely more than a boy, stepped forward. I work with the elder who prepares the ritual items. I can make the changes, but it's risky. We all face risks. Maraid said firmly. But for our freedom, for our future, it's worth it. The group quickly formed a plan. Each person had a role, 
from creating the duplicate items to subtly spreading doubt among the other villagers. We agreed to act over the next few days, leading up to the next ritual. As the meeting dispersed, Oliver pulled me aside. Be careful, he warned. The elders are not just old men and women, they have power, given by the deity they serve, power that's not easily overcome. Over the next few days, the village was a hive of covert activity. Under the guise of daily routines, we worked to undermine the upcoming ritual. Every action was calculated, every movement discreet. The young man, whose name was Eiran, proved invaluable. With his access to the ritual preparations, he was able to replace several key items. I helped him create replicas of the ritual symbols, ensuring each alteration was subtle yet significant enough to disrupt the ritual's power. We aged the duplicates to match the originals, using ash and herbal dyes. Mayreed and a few others spread whispers among the villagers, seeding doubts about the ritual's efficacy and the elders' authority. These whispers were like ripples in a pond, starting small but reaching far. Oliver and I focused on the physical aspects of the ritual site. We subtly rearranged the stones around the fire pit and replaced some of the incense with a harmless but different blend. Each change was minor alone, but together they represented a significant alteration of the ritual's fabric. As the day of the ritual approached, the tension in the village was evident. The elders seemed oblivious to our actions, but we knew better than to underestimate them. Their connection to the deity gave them an almost preternatural awareness. I spent my nights poring over the ancient book, searching for anything that could help us. I found references to a failed rebellion against the deity centuries ago, and a prophecy about a light that would break the darkness. I wondered if our actions might fulfill this prophecy. On the eve of the ritual, the village was quiet. Our group met one last time at Oliver's house. We've done all we can, I said. Now, we must be ready to act if the opportunity arises during the ritual. Oliver nodded, his face grim. We're changing the course of our history tonight. For better or worse, our village will never be the same. We dispersed under the cover of darkness, each of us aware that the next few hours would define the future of the village, and possibly our own fates. The night of the ritual arrived, cloaking the village in a tense silence. I joined the gathering crowd, my heart pounding with fear. The fire pit, now surrounded by the subtly rearranged stones, crackled to life as the elders began the ritual. Their chants filled the air, echoing the ancient words that had bound the village for generations. But tonight, those words sounded different, tainted by the subtle changes we had made. Iran, standing near the elders, caught my eye briefly, a spark of fear and determination in his gaze. He had played his part, replacing the key ritual items with the altered replicas. Now all we could do was wait and watch. As the ritual progressed, I noticed the elders pausing occasionally, their brows furrowed in confusion. The altered symbols and items were working, disrupting the flow of the ritual. The villagers around me seemed restless, their belief shaken by the whispers Mered and her group had spread. Then something unexpected happened. As the eldest elder raised the ornate dagger, now a replica, the fire trembled wildly, 
casting strange shadows around the circle. A wind picked up, howling through the village as if reacting to the disrupted ritual. The elder's hand trembled and for a moment he hesitated. The crowd grew silent, sensing that something was amiss. It was then that a piercing scream shattered the night. A woman from the crowd, her eyes wide with horror, pointed towards the forest. From the shadows of the trees emerged a figure, tall and shrouded in darkness. Its presence was overwhelming, suffocating. The villagers stepped back in terror, their faces pale in the moonlight. The figure advanced towards the circle. The elders turned to face it, their chants faltering. I realized in that moment that this was the deity they worshipped, a being not of myth, but of terrifying reality. Panic erupted, villagers ran, their cries filling the night, but I stood frozen, captivated by the horrific majesty of the deity. It was then that Oliver grabbed my arm, pulling me away. We must go now! He shouted over the chaos. As we fled, I looked back to see the deity standing at the center of the circle, the elders prostrating themselves before it. The ritual had been disrupted, but at what cost? Oliver and I ran through the village, the chaotic screams and the howling wind chasing us. Behind us the once sacred square had descended into pandemonium. The deity's arrival had turned their world upside down, shattering the illusion of control the elders had maintained for so long. We found refuge in an abandoned barn at the village's edge, where Mayreed and several others from our group were hiding. Their faces were marked with shock and fear, but also a glimmer of hope. The ritual had been disrupted, but the cost was yet to be fully understood. The deity! It was real! I gasped, still struggling to comprehend what we had witnessed. Oliver, his face grim, nodded. Yes, and now it knows that we dared to defy it. We've stirred something ancient and powerful. The group was silent, each lost in their own thoughts about the night's events. The reality of what we had unleashed was sinking in. The village, bound for generations by fear and tradition, was now exposed to the wrath of a very real and angry deity. We need to leave the village, Mayraid finally said. It's no longer safe. We must find shelter in the forest until we can decide our next move. The decision was made quickly. We gathered a few supplies and, under the cover of darkness, slipped away into the forest. The once familiar woods felt foreign and menacing, but fear of the deity and the chaos we had left behind propelled us forward. As we moved through the dense forest, I couldn't help but reflect on our actions. We had sought to free the village from the clutches of a dark tradition, but in doing so, had we invited a greater evil. The deity was now a tangible and malevolent force. In the forest clearing, our group huddled together, the fire we had lit casting a small circle of light in the oppressive darkness. We shared our stories, our fears, and our hopes. As the night deepened, a plan began to form. We would leave the village for good, seek out new lives elsewhere. But first we needed to understand the full extent of what we had unleashed. As dawn approached, a sense of unease settled over us. The forest, usually alive with the sounds of nocturnal creatures, was silent. It was then that Eran, who had been unusually quiet, spoke up. There's something I need to tell you, he said, 
his voice barely above a whisper. The deity. It's not just a creature of the ritual. It's bound to the village, to one of us. We looked at him, confused and apprehensive. What do you mean? I asked. He took a deep breath. The elder, the eldest one, he's my grandfather. And he told me long ago that our family is tied to the deity. It's not just a god to us, it's a part of us. When we tampered with the ritual, we didn't just anger it, we weakened the bond that keeps it in check. The deity wasn't just a being summoned by the ritual, it was intrinsically linked to the village through Eran's family. But why didn't you tell us before? Mayreed asked, her voice tainted with anger and fear. I was afraid, Eran admitted, afraid of what it meant for me, for my family, but I see now that we can't run from this. We have to face it. The group fell into a troubled silence, each of us grappling with the magnitude of this new revelation. It was clear that our actions had consequences far beyond what we had imagined. As the first light of dawn broke through the trees, I made a decision. We can't just leave, I said. Not until we find a way to sever this bond, to free both Iran and the village from the deity's grasp. The group nodded in agreement. We would return to the village, armed with our knowledge and a resolve to end this nightmare once and for all. We gathered our belongings and extinguished the fire. As we made our way back to the village, the morning mist hung heavily around us. The village loomed ahead like a place hexed, its fate intertwined with ours. We entered the village cautiously, the streets deserted. The aftermath of last night's chaos was evident, extinguished fires, abandoned ritual items, and a sense of dread hanging in the air. Our first stop was Iran's family home, a modest structure on the village's outskirts. Iran led us inside, where we found his grandfather, the eldest elder, sitting alone, his gaze lost in the fire crackling in the hearth. Grandfather! Iran began, his voice steady despite the turmoil I saw in his eyes. We need to know how to break the bond with the deity. The village can't live under this shadow any longer. The old man looked up, his eyes reflecting the flames. The bond was made centuries ago, he said, his voice heavy with a burden I could only begin to understand. It was a pact of survival, but over time it became our curse. To break it is to risk everything. But there must be a way, I urged, stepping forward. He sighed, closing his eyes for a moment. There is a ritual, but it is dangerous. It requires a sacrifice, a willing one, from our bloodline. A heavy silence fell upon the room. Iran's face was a mask of shock and resolve. Then let it be me, he said quietly. I will be the sacrifice to free our village. No! his grandfather exclaimed, rising to his feet. There must be another way! But Iran was resolute. It's the only way to end this cycle of fear and bloodshed. I choose this path, for the village, for our family. The decision made, we set about preparing for the ritual. It was to be held at the same altar I had discovered days before, the place where the bond had first been forged. As the sun began to set, we gathered at the altar. Iran stood at the center, calm and determined. The ritual was a chant of release, of unbinding. Iran's grandfather led it, his voice trembling with emotion. We all joined in, 
our voices uniting in a singular purpose. As the ritual reached its climax, a wind rose around us, whipping the trees into a frenzy. Eran's form seemed to ripple, and then, in a burst of light that blinded us momentarily, it was over. When our vision cleared, Iran was gone, and in his place lay a small, unblemished stone, pulsating with a soft light. The bond was broken, the pact ended. We returned to the village, the weight of centuries lifted from our shoulders. The villagers, sensing the change, emerged from their homes, their eyes reflecting a cautious hope. The village would heal, its ties to the dark deity severed. Iran's sacrifice would be remembered, a demonstration of the power of courage and change. And I had become a part of this village's story, forever intertwined with the fabric of its history.